Duck Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's the first official day of the Canuck season. Was that? No. That can't that can't be right. No, not really. I mean, organizationally, I guess it's the it's the first. This is kind of like uh, this is the kickoff meeting, you know? Kind, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess. So but you're, not you're really. starting at a new company. This is your kickoff yeah, meeting, guys. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, it could have been the draft. Yeah, could no, have the been draft the is development, like developmental camp, dev camp. Yeah, the 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 draft. I feel like ends the previous season, doesn't it? I guess it's still within the you know the, calendar the, the league year. year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The fiscal year. It's the first event back. Yes. Yeah. The Young Stars tournament we're talking about, of course, and you'll hear them on Sportsnet 650 through the course of the weekend, including tonight's game against the Calgary Flames. Nikita Tolapilo is getting the start in goal for the Canucks against the Flames. Young Stars. They've got uh, Matt Coronado playing on their top line. So it uh, should be exciting from a Flames perspective as well. Canucks don't have Jonathan Lecker, Mackie, or Tom Willander at this tournament. Their two top prospects and most recent first-round draft choices. Uh, Willander is playing at Boston College this year, and Lecker Mackie has just kicked off the SHL season, scored in his first game of the SHL season. So uh, he seems to be back on track from where he was a year ago. But yes, the Young Stars, it does kind of like... Feels like the initial kickoff of the new season. We have training camp starting on Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, the first official workouts get going in Victoria, and they'll go through Sunday. And next Sunday is, of course, the first game of the preseason against the Calgary Flames as well. So the prospects sat for a team that's been as poor standings wise as the Canucks have been in recent years. The prospect pool is. Um, objectively thin yes <laughs> you know that's not that's not m- as much of an opinion as i'd like it to be it's just yeah. it's thin and everybody sort of agrees on that however i feel as though if i'm going to give the front office uh, a pat on the back it's that they've taken some chances on a lot of players whether that be overagers out of the chl some college free agents that have shown to be sort of interesting They've tried to find, and they said this was going to be one of their priorities when they got here. They tried to find some players from other areas, given mm-hmm. you know the lack of high-end draft picks that were going on before they got here. Yeah, and I mean, they have filled... They, I mean, I wouldn't say they filled the cupboards, but they've at least somewhat restocked the cupboards a little bit, you know, and... You it's more looking, that the cupboards are lacking uh, some nice pieces. Yes. I mean, they have a little bit of depth all of a sudden. They have some interesting players, right? They've done a decent job, I'd say, since coming in to, to bring some of these guys in. And the fact that they've actually, you know, been, been able to get a couple of UFAs like Akita Hirose, Philip Johansson, who they believe can do big things for this team, Max Sasson, even who they signed. So they have players that they feel very good about and, to be fair, have all of a sudden bolstered the depth of the organization. But it's clearly still lacking in higher-end talent. But all of a sudden, not that your top five prospect list is is great or anything, but you have a few respectable pieces in there. It's uh, it's becoming, you know, um, 
at least uh, at the high end. You know, you, you got some excitement around Lekaramaki and certainly Willander, although I know that was a big debate over the course of the mm-hmm. summer again, which uh, prospect the Canucks should have taken with their 11th overall draft choice. But we'll leave that conversation in the past. Or if you want, you can go back and listen to some of our draft shows yeah. from back in June. What you get out of this Young Stars tournament. Now, there's always, again, it's the kickoff. And we have legitimately seen some players sort of emerge onto the radar because of how they've played in this tournament through yeah. Canucks history. I know, uh, you know, Eddie Lack and Antoine Roussel are a couple of names that maybe come to mind from from years ago. But it, it's it can be an opportunity for guys that aren't so much on the radar to make a name for themselves. But for players at the higher end of it, it's more there's an expectation of you're going to do pretty well and it's only going to matter too much to us if you don't do so well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there isn't anything they can do that's going to make you feel like they're going to make a big impact in the NHL this upcoming season. It's more about long-term projection. So it's more about if you do poorly, that's going to stand out more than you doing well. Because if you do well, it's kind of like, well, let's see if this player goes to training camp and how they perform there, and then we'll see kind of what happens, right? But I think more than anything, you hear the organization talk about this. They want the veteran guys to show some leadership there, especially Mm -hmm. guys who've been through it before. And it's really more about the organization getting a chance to work with these players and putting them in settings where they're with the organization and they can kind of impart more knowledge onto what they want to do. It's an extension of developmental camp in many ways, right? This Young Stars tournament. So the performance on the ice, I don't know if it matters all that much, to be honest, as long as a guy just doesn't do really poorly. You want you don't want them to look like they're a step or two behind. That's the one thing you don't want to see, right? But it would be nice for some of these guys to flash a little bit of something, especially players who have been through this a couple of times. So some of those names, uh, you know, Danila, if I can speak English, Danila Klimovich uh, is now into his third tournament. Yes. You know, and he's a... Second round draft choice from a couple of years ago. Showed pretty well at this tournament last year. I think you'd like to see him take another step and really show out uh, this year. Atu Ratu is a player that the Canucks you know, have high hopes for down the line and had some big expectations of what he was going to do in the summer. This is the first chance he's going to have yeah. to show some of the gains that he's made. But this is, it's, it's a little bit of an older roster, right? You're not, again... Willander and Lekaramaki aren't necessarily here. These are older players. A lot of them have some pro experience already. This is, and it can be, a very unstructured environment because it's a lot of guys coming together in a short period of time to play a few games over the yeah. course of three days. So it's not it's not going to look like you normally see when you watch an NHL game or even an AHL game. That can make for a lot of weird things happening in some of these games, so it's it can be hard to evaluate players. At the end of the day, though, players that are older, more developed, have some pro experience, you want to see them show out. And so the Canucks, from a result standpoint, should at least play well in this tournament. Yeah, you would certainly hope so, right? Yeah. And uh, we don't want to do the thing where you know we have the games on the station over the weekend, like we did with the Blue Jays last night, yes. just ripping into them. And by the way, they're coming up next, and so we're not we're not going to go quite that deep in terms of this doesn't matter at all. But I do think the most interesting thing about this is it gives us a chance to kind of take stock of okay, what do they have mm-hmm. in their system all of a sudden? The players who are going to be here, okay, 
How do they fit in? And where are the areas that this organization still has to improve when it comes to its prospect pool? Yes. And I still think there are a few areas. Like for, for all the talk about, you know, they have Lakarimaki and they have Willander all of a sudden and Altu Ratu and, and a few other players, like they're still missing, I, I think, a good a prospect that profiles as a good physical two-way player, you know, and I think they have a couple of guys they've drafted this year. They feel pretty good about, I mean, Damian Gardner's a player who you shouldn't kind of forget about who's been playing, um, getting into the uh, NCAA and it showed a lot of promise coming up through his high school system. Big player has a little bit of grit, but they don't have enough of that. And we keep talking about adding gritty, gritty, gritty players to this organization and how hard it is to find guys with size. I'd really like to see them add a few prospects who have that type of upside because it's it's almost impossible to find these guys via trade and in free agency, like you mentioned the other day, how much do you want to pay a guy like Ryan Reeves? Yeah, you don't want to pay those guys too much. And they actually have a couple of those as their uh, invites for the tournament. Braden Bowman is a yeah. uh, 6'2" winger and um even jacob milet is uh centerman over six feet and about uh, 190 pounds so you know those are a couple of the guys that will get a look at and see what they're all about as invitees to this tournament and again that's an area that the canucks have sort of really looked at to um you know to add as long shot pieces for the organization so when we look at this and we look at the prospect pool on the grand scheme set, you know, you mentioned there are some weaknesses. The one that I would point out is still very much a weakness of the pool in the grand scheme, a lack of center depth. Yeah. Because even Atu Ratu, as we've talked about, there is still some speculation and still some wonder if he'll be able to stick playing center as a, Somebody that's not ever going to be the most fleet of foot on the ice. Yeah, I mean, there are some questions still about that, right? So I do agree with you, and especially a centerman with with some higher end skill. Like some of the guys they've drafted, um, you could say like, hey, you know, this player has a little bit of upside over time, like a Mueller or a Perkins. They feel like have a little, have a little bit of upside potentially, but I'm not sure they really have the type of offensive upside that you kind of want to have. Like, do they have somebody knocking on the door in a few years that, hey, maybe could be your long-term second line center, for instance, right? And every team is looking for that. It's not easy to find. And especially if you have a decent year and you hide, your draft pick's not as high, it's even harder to find that. But yeah, I don't think they have enough centers who profile in that way, right? Like even guys like Linus Carlson, it's very clear he's going to be a, a winger more than anything else. Baines, same thing. I mentioned Damian Gardner. I think he's a player to keep an eye on, but I wonder about the ultimate offensive upside still. Like, is it going to be a second line center type or a guy that makes the NHL and plays a third or fourth line role? You should be happy about considering where he was drafted, uh, a couple, you know, last season. So uh, they still really do lack that. Even Max Sasson, who they signed, who's a centerman, he doesn't profile to be a high end scorer or necessarily a second line center type. It's more about can he be a can he be a nice you know bottom six centerman for you? And it's good to have those guys again because you don't want to be you know dipping into free agency every year, spending a couple million on guys to play on your third and fourth line. So you want to have guys coming up to, who can pro profile and get there. But on the higher end, especially as time goes on and we look at this team and say, okay, can this Canucks cl club not only become a contender, but can they sustain becoming a contender? And one way to ensure you can do that is having prospects in your system that can keep coming in waves in a few years. And until you have some of those guys, even long shots, in your midst, it's kind of hard to have him break out in a couple of years. What would you say are some of the strengths of the prospect pool? 
it's again we talked about how it is shallow at the top Willander Lekaramaki there are a lot of names now you know there's a lot of guys that I think have all of a sudden got on NHL radar where I don't know if there was a ton of that a couple of years ago you know, now you can go down the list and you see Kudryatsev. Wow, that guy was a finalist for OHL Defenseman of yeah. the Year last year. Uh, Brustevich was a really exciting draft pick that the team made at this past draft. Philip Johansson played really well in the SHL last year. We're going to see how he fares coming into the AHL this year and see if he can get back on mm. track as a former first-round pick from a few years ago. Akito Hirose is an interesting player, as we saw at the end of last year. They got a lot of guys that have all of a sudden jumped on to NHL radar, but still lacking a little bit of the high end where I would imagine the biggest strength of this prospect pool is probably in goal. Like you have Arthur Silovs and now you've added Nikita Tolopilo, who by all accounts, and like we talked about with Kevin Woodley the other day, this is a super interesting prospect was goalie of the year in the all Svenskin last year. Uh, when we saw him at dev, dev camp, it was like, Wow, he's really big. Yeah. You kind of, it's the first thing you notice. And this is a team that we've seen. And this is an organization, thanks to Ian Clark, that has been really good at identifying talented goaltenders. Yeah. Even Ty Young, uh, yeah. they're excited about. And Koskin Vuau, who's a Finnish prospect who's been playing in the NCAA, hasn't played a ton and hasn't really broken out there yet. But if he starts showing some signs, don't be surprised if we start hearing his name. He was on uh, the Finnish World Junior team uh, this past year as well. So it's he's a guy who's been on radars yep. too, and he's a guy that is thought of as having a lot of potential. I'd agree that goalies and defensemen are is the strength. Of the, I mean, it's kind of funny because a couple of years ago they had zero defensemen. Yeah. And to your point, they have a few, like even Will Ander and Patrick Pedersen as your top two prospects. That's respectable, yeah. you know, because both guys project to play in the NHL. Will Lander, a righty defenseman who could be a, you know, second pair defenseman, perhaps even higher potentially. And what Pedersen is showing is he's probably going to play some games at some point. So having those guys who are young and, you know, and could take even more steps forward, I think is, is pretty solid. And then you go through the depth. They have a few, even Cole McWard, yeah. you know, showed a little bit of something. We'll see ultimately where he comes in. And, and I know organizationally, like Sori Minu is a guy they feel really good about. They thought it should have been a higher draft pick. They were excited was still available when, when they drafted him. So I think the defense side of it is really good. And we'll see ultimately what happens with, you know, Jet Wu or uh, Yanni Yormo. But even those guys all of a sudden go from being, you know, your top two or three or four prospects on the back end to maybe being your 10th, 11th, 12th. Mm-hmm. And I think all of a sudden, that's not a bad thing to have in terms of some depth as far as blue liners go. But the ba- the goalies, especially if Silovs is the guy we think he can be, yeah, I mean, it's good that all of a sudden you have a guy that potentially could be a number one goaltender. Yeah. And I think that always really strengthens the position group. Uh, you're always looking for, um, of course, uh, yeah, okay, they, they've got some guys that are projecting to play some NHL games. But are you going to find somebody? Is somebody going to overshoot, you know, their expectation or their projection and be even better than what we might see right now? That's a question mark that I think we all have of this prospect pool as it currently stands. Now, we go into this prospect and Young Stars tournament. So it gives us a good chance to sort of take stock of what the Canucks have. And that's what we've been doing here. But people love hearing lists. People oh, yes. love rankings. So how about 
Let's do a top five Canucks okay. top prospects. And then we will sort of discuss some of the other players that are also on the radar of being top five-ish. Yeah, so I think it's pretty clear. Number one should be Tom Willander. Just drafted. Yeah, and highest of the draft picks uh, in terms of... um, Selection. Yeah, so I think it's pretty clear he's number one. There is some debate as to who should be number two, however. You see a lot of lists have Atu Ratu Mm -hmm. as the Canucks' second best uh, prospect. I'm not sure I feel the same way, though. So Atu Ratu uh, was a late second-round pick a couple of years ago. Still a young player. is still 20 years old. Uh, will be 21, I believe, in November. Might be wrong on that. But still a very young player relative to his pro experience, right? Played yeah. last year mostly in the AHL. Had some NHL games last year. That would suggest this is a pretty interesting prospect that you have here. But I'm I'm with you. Like, I... I have a hard time putting Atu Ratu ahead of Jonathan Lekaramaki. Yeah, I, I know he had a tough year because, you know, he went through injuries. He was sick. He had a concussion, too. I mean, he had a lot of things go wrong for him. But as soon as he got healthy in the playoffs, mm-hmm. he lit it up. And he was one of the best players on that team. And he showed why the Canucks felt so good about him. They had him as the top, I think the eighth mm-hmm. ranked prospect, I think, is what the Canucks had. Lekaramaki, or at least in their top 10, the year they drafted him. And they got him at, what, 16? Was it 17? Or 15? Yeah. I forget what it was. But regardless, like he's a guy they, they had a lot higher. And when you see him up close, you see kind of that high-end ability. And also just kind of like the smart little things he does mm-hmm. like just even he scored the goal in the SHL uh, the other night and you see he's kind of it's on the power play and he's um just below the circle uh, on the right side of the goalie and he's kind of he's the the guy on the point has the puck and you can see him turn to that player ready kind of to shoot a one-timer but not like all the way up he was kind of just ready to shoot the puck and as soon as the puck kept going he just kept moving his stick and his blade with the motion of where the puck was going and as soon as the puck came across from him he had already come around and boom just bangs it into the net and he's about like you know 12 13 feet away from the goal but he just snipes it in but just small little things like that where you see natural goal scoring instincts but also just so in tune with the little details of what you need to do to track the puck and be able to be ready at all times and he's a guy that even when you watch him on developmental camp, just the small things that he does, he 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 looks like a real player to me. Yeah. Like I think by the end of the season, Dan, everyone's gonna feel like he's the Canucks best prospect. The the Canucks best prospect. I think that's how fans are gonna feel. A lot of people are gonna feel because Willander is He's going to an NCAA team. He's not going to be on the first unit power play, most likely. He's going to develop and learn. He's going to play well, I think. He's going to do well. But he's not going to be featured into all the top offensive roles. I don't think he's going to have this huge breakout offensive season. I'm not sure that's going to be lining up for him this year. But I think he can really learn and take a big step. But he's not going to have this, I don't think, splashy, um, you know, uh, point-producing season. So I think that's is in the minds of a lot of people is going to, you know, kind of make people kind of forget about him a little bit. And LeCarrie Mackey is going to have a lot of highlight moments that that's going to really excite fans as the season goes on. LeCarrie Mackey, um, again, if you're a 19-year-old playing in the SHL, remember when he was drafted, he was one of the youngest players um, in that draft year. So you can look at LeCarrie Mackey and if he has a 19-year-old season, age 19 season in the SHL where he's scoring quite a bit, that puts him in line with a pretty strong projection for what he could be at the NHL level. So that's something to watch with Lekaramaki. Three is where it starts to get 
I mean, two, three, four is where it maybe starts to get interesting. And I want to bring Josh into this conversation because uh, we debated it a little bit in the pre-show meeting as to who should be three. Is it Atu Ratu or is it Artur Silovs? Now, ultimately, we won, or <laughs> we voted Atu we Ratu. Won. We won, yes. Two to one uh, for this spot. But Josh gave a valiant effort as to Arthur Silovs being the Canucks' third best prospect. I just think if you're projecting, like, who could have more of an impact on the team in the long term, mm-hmm. I think it's Arthur Silovs. Because, yeah. like, for me, when I look at Atu Ratu's potential, I don't see top six potential. In him, personally, especially as like a center, maybe as a winger. Right. Um, you don't see a second line center as his ceiling? Probably not. Like, not, yeah. not, not unless he has this great increase in foot speed, which just I don't see happening. Um, whereas Archer Silovs, like, I very realistically can see him being a number one goalie for the Canucks in the future. And to me, that's like the upside of that is higher than what Ratu has. So I, th- I feel like, um, he makes a good point, and it yes. comes down to your evaluation. If you are evaluating Atu Ratu as a third-line center long-term, but you think Silovs is a number-one goalie, then clearly you should be ranking Silovs above Ratu, right? I still think Ratu has the potential of being a second-line center, and I don't even think... I think his skating has to improve. I'm not sure it has to improve uh, dramatically for him to be able to do that, especially based on what you keep hearing Rick Tockett mention about he wants players that are very good along the walls, guys that win battles and are very <laughs> smart in the offensive end. And I think based on you know his smarts, his handle, and how he can play in the offensive zone, and even his defensive awareness, I think there's a lot of good things there. But he clearly has to get a little bit of quick. He has to get a little bit quicker. Rounding out the top five, Elias Patterson, DPD, I guess is uh, what people are starting to call him now. Yeah, he looks really good. He does. Uh, going to be teammates with Jonathan. Well, is teammates with Jonathan Lekromacki this year at uh, Orobro. And, I mean, seeing him up close at Dev Camp this year was, um, I mean, he really impressed. Like, you can just see a lot of the things, like, never mind the tape, but, like, anytime you get to see a player up close, it's just, it's that much better. But the skating, the um, confidence on the ice that he plays with, there's just a lot to like in Elias Patterson's game. Yeah, there really is. Uh, the question is going to really come down to this year in Erbro, how much is he going to play? Mm-hmm. You know, he was our seventh defenseman, you know, to open the season here. Can he keep moving up the lineup? How much can he play? Because he he needs to get a decent amount of ice time if we're going to look at him as having a trajectory over the next two, few years to come over to North America. Because if he has to have a year where he doesn't play a ton, mm-hmm. that means he has to go back to Sweden probably one more year after this season. What you want, I think, ideally, is for him to have a good year this year. So next season, you can maybe flirt with the idea of bringing him, him over. Uh, that rounds out the top five. Tom Willander, Jonathan Lekaramaki, Atu Ratu, Artur Silovs, and Elias Pettersson as your top five Canucks prospects, according to us. Okay, yeah, I mean, it can be in a subjective opinion on this, but it does feel like there's a pretty clear top five. Now, beyond that, there's guys like Akito Hirose, uh, who's you know 24, but still with the lack of pro experience, I would say is a prospect. Danila Klimovich and is playing in the Young Stars tournament. Danila Klimovich, Aiden McDonough, Linus Carlson, Hunter Brustovich, Philip Johansson. Like, there's a group of players yeah. there that I think if you ask a bunch of different people, you probably get a lot of different answers. But 
that's where the depth and some interest comes in beyond the top five of this Canucks prospect pool. Yeah, and even a couple of other guys, if we're gonna, you know, we're gonna mention them. Uh Lucas Forcell, yes. who showed a lot. He's, you know, he could be a talented winger. We'll see ultimately how still uh, very he, young. He's still yeah, I mean he was one of the younger guys in yeah. his draft year, right? And for a guy who was drafted in the sixth round, I believe it was, he's oh, seventh round, he's been fantastic in yeah. terms of the steps he's t- he's taken the last couple of years. And then on the back end, we mentioned Kudratsev a bit earlier. He's he's somebody that again, late round draft pick it's going to be like probably like was a finalist for OHL defenseman of the year and uh, could win the award this year yeah I mean he's he's a guy that's showcased not only some talent but also some defensive chops as well and even Josh Bloom who they acquired via trade from the Buffalo Sabres I mean out out of all these guys we mentioned maybe he's the guy who plays some games in the NHL this season. Now, it's his first year in the AHL, which isn't going to be easy for him, but he's a guy who could be a gritty bottom six winger for them. Uh, do you have a question about the Canucks prospect pool? Let us know, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Who do you think is the Canucks top prospect? You can send that in. We'll read some of your texts and get to your questions on the show. It is a mailbag Friday, first of the new season coming up, but up next, it's the triple threat. It's Ian McIntyre on Canucks Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central continues at the Kid Tech Studio. Kid Tech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Provider. They've got 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. They get great reviews, okay? They do. I'm struggling today. It's Friday, man. It is. Dunbar Lumber with three three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. Ian McIntyre is going to join us in a couple of moments. Um, excited to find out what iMac would have on his waffle after he had a very deep waffle discussion with Andre Kuzmenko yesterday. So are you having waffles this weekend? <laughs> I kind of want to. You do? I'm going to make some power cakes. Some power cakes? Yeah. What's a power cake? Just pancakes with a little bit more protein in them. It's the same thing. It's just pancakes. Okay. Yeah. So protein pancakes? Yeah, pretty much. But they still taste you like You like pancakes. mix in your protein powder into the pancakes? I think they're like, I don't know what, Kodiak or whatever it is. Like you get them from like Costco. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good. That makes sense. Yeah. You, you grab a, you mix, you mix it in with some almond milk and throw an egg in. Yeah. Yeah. Make a few pancakes with mm. that. It's good. Um, some organic. But you won't syrup. be putting a n- Nutella on your. No, uh, no, no. Nutella is not good for you. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and I used to be somebody who used to eat spoonfuls of Nutella oh, as a man. kid. So I think, I think we've all been there at one point or oh, another. Yeah. Just like. I'm kind of hungry for a snack. Oh, there's Nutella. Let me just grab a teaspoon. <laughs> teaspoon? Lucky if there's a teaspoon. <laughs> Tablespoon? Tablespoon? Okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's bring in our next guest. He's the triple threat. You hear him on radio. You watch him on television. You read his work at sportsnet.ca. It is Ian McIntyre. I, Mac, we were just discussing um, because the, the biggest takeaway we had from your piece with Andre Kuzmenko is what he would have on his waffles. I want to know, like, what's your go-to waffle combination? Do you have one? Uh, probably banana and syrup, but I have to admit, 
I'm a huge breakfast guy, but not so much the waffles and pancakes, just because they're a little, I find them a little sweet yeah. in the morning. You're a more savory you know, breakfast guy rather than a... As everyone in my household can tell you, it's more common than not for people to wake up to the smell of sizzling bacon and homemade hash browns <laughs> oh, and yeah. runny scrambled eggs, even though uh, the sizzling bacon's not good for you. But apparently, I've read, I've researched this. If you render most of the fat out, it's a lot healthier than uh, than what it says on the package. So you just got to, you know, cook it crisp. Exactly. It's, it's just how you cook things and the type you get to ensure you have the healthiest po- option possible. I'm with you, though. Like, I don't like to have pancakes first thing in the morning. Like, I like them in, during for brunch or something a bit later on during the day. Like, I love pancakes. Then I can't have pancakes at like 8 or 9 in the morning. Can't do it. Yeah. You know, pancakes, and I like to cook, and pancakes was one of the first things I ever learned to make from scratch. I think I was like nine or ten years old, and I can still throw together a batch, like the batter, in, you know, 60 seconds. And my family loves them, but they're they're just not my favorite. By the way, when Richo's talking about Nutella... (laughs) <laughs> and you guys are arguing teaspoon, tablespoon. I'm thinking soup ladle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually just going in with the biggest spoon he can find. Okay. Uh, I, I, see, here I was thinking you'd be having haggis for breakfast. Oh, I did in the summer. <laughs> I had kippers as well. Smoked herring for breakfast. The house smelled wonderful. Ah. Sounds it was an Airbnb. What did I care? <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds lovely. Uh, it is Ian McIntyre joining us. So, um, okay, real talk on on Andre Kuzmenko. It was a great piece uh, you put up yesterday at Sportsnet.ca, speaking with uh, the Canucks Russian superstar. I, like I uh, I gained so much uh, respect for him, knowing he scored thirty nine goals uh, with a diet similar to mine last season. <laughs> Yes. It was pretty impressive. You kind of learn a lot more about him, but um, it was yeah, he's... it was sort of interesting to hear how he's learning how to be an NHLer, I guess. Yeah, he, first of all, he's such an engaging guy, and he's, he's so good-natured and obviously can, can laugh at himself as well, which I, I think is important for all of us that we yes. you know, know when to be serious, know when we can have... Uh, a laugh at our, our own expense. And he, he knows that it was to a lot of people, it was comical, you know, what his, what his diet would have been, but he also uh, is making it clear that, that he learned from it. I, I just think it, it endears him even more to fans and he's not doing it deliberately. Like there's nothing, there's nothing mm-hmm. manipulative about him at all. This is just who Andre Kuzmenko is. And so not only, did he score 39 goals as a first-year player in the National Hockey League? Um, eating waffles with Nutella, uh, but he also is kind of, uh, to me as well, you know, living his his life the way a lot of us think that we would if we had the money to to live it any way we want. Like mm-hmm. he goes he goes away in the summer and instead of going back to Moscow and into a gym you know late may uh, he travels the world he goes to 15 different countries and he takes his coach with him which i loved mostly he was in bali and i still have a hard time picturing him surfing in the morning and then uh, going to the <laughs> bali ice skating arena 
which actually exists. I had to, I had to Google it to to make sure that it he wasn't having me on. And there is there is a rink in Bali, but he and he was there. That was his largest chunk of time. He was there two different stints for a total of like a month and a half, and he brought a, a coach in from from Russia to to train him. He also had uh, friends including uh, a hockey player or two, come in and join him. So he had other guys on the ice uh, to train with uh, as well. And, you know, basically saw the world, but all with all uh, with the purpose of, you know, maintaining and, well, not just maintaining, improving his fitness and certainly improving his diet. And the diet, um, and I don't mean to make light of well, all of us, who struggle. I just told you about my bacon in the morning. So there's a lot of us who struggle with diet, but in the end, you know, with some willpower, that's probably not the hardest thing to change in your life of, of, you know, whatever, whatever vices you have, like eating healthier shouldn't be the hardest, the hardest thing to achieve. So, you know, the, the diet is one thing, but the training is another. And the fact that he, that Kuzmenko took, uh coaches on the road with him and it was the same thing when he went to miami which was his second longest stint at the end of the summer and he he was able to skate there with a bunch of uh, nhl base players from south florida um to me that talked a lot about his certainly his understanding that he has to be better he has to be better physically he has to be better conditioned he had to be lighter he had to be leaner he had to be stronger, and according to Andre, he's he's achieved all of that while while globe trotting. Uh, I think you know my guess is that there's still going to be a ways to go. We we may training schedule that the Canucks conditioning staff uh, had him on last season, but the fact that he understands that he needs to make these improvements and is so apparently committed to doing so is, is a huge, huge thing, uh, obviously in his favor, but in the Canucks favor as well, because if, if the guys don't understand that they need to be better and remember he came in as a KHL star, could have played for anyone he wanted in the NHL, essentially chose the Canucks scored 39 goals uh, signed a new contract for $11 million over the next two years. A lot of guys might think, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I don't really need to change a whole lot. He understands he needs to change. And uh, I think that's a great thing. I completely agree. And I think, you know, as much as, yeah, he got a two-year contract, but if he, you know, plays well these next two years with the cap going up and, you know, puts in a couple more 30-plus goal years, then he can make a lot more money than he signed for the next two upcoming seasons. And, And honestly, like... I think he understood that not only was he getting some tough love because, um, you know, the coach wanted him to be better with his details, but also he wasn't conditioned enough to be able to handle big minutes oftentimes. That's why they didn't play him a ton of minutes some games either. And for him to play, seven, say, go to, to go from 16 and a half to, say, 18 minutes a game, that requires better conditioning. So he's doing the right thing. And the other thing is, I think we all agree, Ian, he's probably not going to shoot 27% next season. But is there a chance that he still scores close to what he scored last year, or at least does something respectable if he plays more and gets more shots on goal and because he's in better shape and is more equipped to handle an 82-game season? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure. First of all, I, I think he's talented enough that if, in fact, uh, and, you know, we're going to find out next week, or we may not, but the Canucks will find out next week when they test all, and assess all their players at the start of uh, training camp. Um, if he's in better shape, he's so talented and so good that uh, I'm going to say right now he's going to have respectable offensive totals by the end of next season, no matter what his shooting percentage is. So, you know, whether that means he scores 22 goals or 28, I, I think he's going to have uh, he's going to have an offensive player's bottom line by by the end of the year. I also thought it was great, by the way, what he said, and probably in, in the context of the Nutella waffles that maybe didn't get as much <laughs> much attention. But he said, you know, of his own game, you know, how can he be better for the team? Well, he, you know, he scored 39 goals and the team lost a lot of games. So maybe, maybe if he plays better defense, that helps the team, which I think is great and mature insight from him as well. Uh, that, you know, a, a successful season for the Canucks is probably not predicated on him repeating 39 goals. But to, to your point, Sat, I think there's a very little chance that he or anybody else over the course of the season is going to shoot 27% uh, this year, not unless it's somebody who plays four games and takes four yes. shots and scores once. Um, but I also think that he can shoot a lot more than he did. And I think part of the reason he shot 27%, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And yes, some some luck is is part of that. But he was so discerning as a shooter that he basically wasn't taking a shot unless he thought he was he was going to score on it. Like he, he, there was never a point where he was just throwing pucks at the net, and he basically was was hitting his spot a ton more. And maybe that's not realistic—an extra shot per game. But if he gets eighty more shots, that's two roughly two hundred twenty shots over a season and you know if he shoots 15 percent that's 33 goals and i think most people would say 33 goals pretty good season now i don't know that he's going to do any of that i don't know that he's going to get 220 shots or 33 goals but i will say that from everything that i've seen and we all saw how talented naturally talented he was last season by the end of this year Whatever his totals are, uh, we're going to say, yeah, that was good offensive season for Andre Kuzmenko. I think we're pretty comfortable saying, you know, it's going to be Elias Patterson and, and Andre Kuzmenko together again on that Canucks top line. Um, do you have a feel for who will be their uh, third partner in crime on that top line? Ilya Mikheyev, Anthony Beauvillier, who do you think it should be? Well, I think, I think Mikheyev was really good there. Uh, for most of the time before he got hurt. And uh, I would think that that would be kind of a default starting point for them to see how those three are together again. I, I really like Mikheyev there for a couple of reasons uh, because of, you know, partly because of his, his two-way profile. He seems to be a good link both on the ice and culturally language-wise with Kozmenko and Pedersen. Uh, but I also think that due to Elias Pedersen's evolution, that that line may get more of the matchup duties this season. Uh, and, you know, let's remember Bo Horvat's been gone since January and, and they've, you know, JT Miller, I think got a lot of 
that uh, head-to-head uh, assignments after Bo left, but Pedersen got some as well. But it, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Pedersen at some point becomes kind of the go-to guy for that. And if he does that, then you've got to make sure that his wingers can do it as well. And that's where I would say, Dan, you know, there's a possibility that Kazmanko and Pedersen might get split for that reason. If, if they decide that they need a, a more experienced or more dependable defensive presence on that line if they're going to get matchup minutes. But the, the way I look at it, Kazmanko's possession numbers were very good last year. And, and yeah, sure, it helped. It helped that he was with uh, the best player on the team in Elias Pedersen, a guy who got selkie votes in Elias Pedersen. Uh, but I think he's at least competent defensively and i think he uh, as i said you know his comment to me about maybe if he plays more defense the team wins more games uh, i think that and the fact that Ilya Mikheyev is is such a good player defensively and and can play a matchup role i think it just makes all, too much sense not to start that way with Pedersen between Kuzmenko and Mikheyev yeah, and I guess the the question I have about Mikheyev is just going to be overall his health because you know Tanner Pearson he's going to be participating in camp. Mikheyev, the hope is he's going to be ready for the regular season. But I guess we're not really going to know truly what his status is until uh, the guys gather for camp. I guess right. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and that's a good point that maybe he won't be ready, or if he's ready, maybe he won't be ready for that deployment. Mm-hmm. But you know, October 11 is still a long way away. We don't need to worry about whether Mikheyev is ready on September 21st when training camp opens. It's, it's October 11. It is a serious, serious um, injury that he had and a major surgery to, to fix it. And, you know, the timeline is not, uh, the timeline is not suspiciously slow for where he is right now. So as long as he continues to recover and, and gets back and maybe he's, maybe he's not ready by, uh, October eleventh, uh, and and if he's not, you know that's not necessarily a terrible thing for the Canucks, possibly with their salary cap situation. They have to <laughs> yeah. give him a week of breathing room. But if he's not ready, then uh, from what I'm hearing about his recovery, it's not going to be too long after that. Uh, I'd be really surprised if this ends up being an injury where Ilya Mikheyev's not available to let's say December or January. Uh, that's not the indication that I've gotten to this point. What's um, what's the, the biggest storyline you're looking ahead to uh, when we get to training camp next week, IMAC? Sorry, you faded out there, Dan. Biggest story of training camp? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest story is not an individual one. We always look at players and and look at position battles and look at guys who need to bounce back or guys who need to step up. We, of course, we're always... Um, mesmerized by the really good young players and are they ready and how close are they and things like that. But for me, uh, having watched the Canucks basically implode at the start of the last two seasons and play so poorly that they were, it was impossible for them to catch up, to make up for what they, for, for what they lost. To me, the most important thing about this training camp is continuity and cohesiveness can they get through victoria 
without having significant injuries? Can they get through the preseason without significant injuries? And if they can, can they establish some some continuity with play where there's a lot more dependability and certainty to what they're trying to do and, and defensive competence as well to them than what they've showed in the last couple of training camps and preseason. Because to me, the atrocious starts that they've had, you can trace back to how poor their training camps were. And there were a lot of reasons for why the last two were poor with injuries, you know, contract situations, players being absent, players coming back, and then others get hurt. And then last year, of course, the the utter dysfunction and the drama surrounding Bruce Boudreaux and, you know, how long a leash does he have? What happens if they lose at the start? Is he, will he be fired in October? Will he be fired in November? And the players were aware of all of that. You know, they are professional. They are conditioned to try to block out the noise and just focus on the task at hand. But they're also human beings. And they were all aware, you know, that, that Bruce had wanted another contract and, and uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin didn't give it to them and that, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty about wh- how long he would be coached. All of that played into the lack of preparation, the lack of readiness that this team had to start the season. And they have to, they have to be more ready to start this season because it's tough again, their schedule. You know, one game at home against Edmonton, then a five-game road trip against some very difficult teams, and all the way uh, to the East Coast again in the first road trip of the year. They have to be ready, and to me, being ready, a lot of it is what can, what does Rick Tockett get accomplished system-wise in training camp in the preseason? How healthy is the team? Do they have everyone available uh, for the start of the season? And if it's yes to that, does there seem to be some continuity in in their play, in their pairings on defense, in their forward line combinations? Uh, they have to get ready for the start of this year better than they've gotten ready as a team for the start of the last two and really the start of the last three. But, the, you know, three years ago it was a pandemic season. That was just weird for everyone. But these last two years, the start's, have been unacceptable. The starts have been why the seasons quickly got away from them and led to a lot of the turmoil that we've seen. They have to have a better start, which means a better training camp in preseason. So did uh, Kuzmenko get you to convince you to go to Bali next summer? Is is that going to be on the docket for IMAX? <laughs> if I could afford it, I'd go to Bali every summer. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if I was there, I would not be skating in the Bali Ice arena. Yeah, I can. I uh, probably would not leave, <laughs> not leave the beach. Sure, Do they have golf courses in Bali. They I'm, must. I'm sure they do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm. Accurate. But I l- listen. No complaints. I had Scotland and Switzerland, which was a pretty fabulous summer. So That's, I would do that again too. Sounds pretty good. Uh, IMAC will see you uh, probably in Victoria next week. I will look forward to that. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, there he is, Ian McIntyre, the Triple Threat, best in the business. Great stuff as always. It's uh, There's a lot hinging on Andre Kuzmenko uh, lining up and being as good as he was a season ago on the ice, potentially even better. It's hard because, you know, if he was 21, 22, you know, you could realistically expect him to 
to have another gear. But as a 27-year-old, you're not not necessarily expecting another uptick in production from a 27-year-old. But there's a lot that he's had to learn about being an NHL player. It's clear in the piece that he did with IMAC there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see how Andre Kuzmenko fares this upcoming season. Yeah, excited for it. And, you know, if he is going to play 18 minutes a game, he does have to be in better shape. It's yeah. clear. I mean, there were games last year where, remember, like you could tell he was out of gas on on the bench, and yep. there's a reason why he didn't play as many minutes some games, right? So, you know, it's one thing to say, give a guy ice time, but how much ice time can you handle and still be, be able to provide a high level of play? And that's what you're going to have to do because if you want to score, you know, the same amount of goals next season, got to take more shots, got to play more minutes. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. A lot of uh, questions coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox for the mailbag. We already got a lot of questions earlier today at Satyar Shaw on Twitter. We'll get to your questions for us next. The first edition of the Canuck Central Mailbag of the season coming up on Sportsnet 650.